Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Elemental Awakening. Today, I'm going to blow your mind with um, some some interesting things I just got into about DNA and how knowing things about your DNA can impact your health on a whole new level. So stay tuned um, for this amazing interview. Dr. Winnie, I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you for being here. And I'm really excited to, ha- to talk to you today about DNA testing and all these amazing things that you do. Yeah, thank you for having me, Giovanni. Awesome. So just as a little background, you know, a few months ago, I was embarking on a health journey. I'm trying to improve my HRV and just really get some insights into how I can become just healthier and optimize my health. And along the way, one of the things that was recommended to me was to do a DNA test Um, and not a DNA test like you might be thinking like ancestry to find out my lineage more basically on how my DNA functions. And and Dr. Winnie's going to go a little bit deeper uh, into it. Um, but when I did the consult, it was so fascinating. And I shared a little bit of it on, on some of my social media. People were asking me, like, how do I find out more? So I said, you know what, let me just invite Dr. Winnie on for a call. We can explore all these questions and more. So I guess, um, welcome, first of all. Thank you for taking the time to be here. And tell me a bit about, you know, a little bit of the backstory, how you got into this and, um, you know, how you're using it today to sort of help people take their health to the next level. Mm-hmm, yeah. So uh, my training is a naturopathic doctor. And one of the big areas, you know, we talk about gut health and detoxification. And detoxification is a big passion uh, of mine. Um, and that's what actually launched me into looking at functional genomics and the use of the detoxification genes to get a better idea of someone's ability to detoxify. Because, you know, you can't just run a lab test to look at your liver enzymes to get an idea of your detoxification ability because only liver enzymes will be elevated if you're having any you know major issues like fatty liver or some type of liver disease but i what piqued my interest was okay how well do i detoxify my body and through meeting dr mansoor mohammed the clinical genomicist founder of you know the functional genomics at the dna company um, i learned a number of different genes where it goes into more detail about explaining um, my body's ability to detoxify phase one phase two etc so that really was what launched me into uh, functional genomics, but since then, I've been working with Dr. Mansoor Mohammed for about six years now, uh, in practice for seven years, and it's just very fascinating in terms of what else we can learn besides detoxification. For example, you know, um, mental health, right? How um, how our body processes stress. Are we more prone to, you know, low mood or are we better multitaskers? So there's just so much there from a mood and behavioral perspective. And then there's a lot of different areas as well um, that we can learn from, from genetic testing. So when, when on our call, I think some of the things that um, we went over was, you know, like how my body metabolizes stress hormones. We talked mm-hmm. about how, you know, like something I had no idea was, you know, I had some predisposition to inflammatory mm-hmm. cardiovascular sort of issues. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you recommend some very specific um, vitamins or supplements I should take that would help with that. So, you know, like, I guess my question is, you know, before DNA testing, I guess a lot of these things would be done through like a blood test maybe. But, you know, like try to give a comparison of like how specific you can get on like a DNA test versus a blood test and sort of the things you can find out and maybe some of the results you've seen by identifying some of these things. If you mm-hmm. have any examples, I'd love to, to mm-hmm. explore. Yeah. 
Yeah. So um, going back to what you were saying before, where, you know, functional genomic testing, what you did, the Mm -hmm. test that you did is very different than the conventional way of uh, testing genes. So uh, the conventional way of testing genes is to say, oh, if you have this gene mutation, you have this disease. But that's not what we're looking at in functional genomics. We know that our body runs on certain way of biochemistry, right? And the genes that are tested through the DNA company is Uh, these genes are coding for proteins, enzymes, um, you know, receptors, and depending on each individual's gene results, we can get a better idea of their personalized biochemistry. So that's one type of insight that you can't get necessarily on blood testing, because blood testing is in a way uh, a conventional way, and it, it, it is useful, but it's more of, oh, the after response of maybe certain changes for a long period of time that's happening in in the body. So let's just say, for example, we'll take vitamin B12. I'm sure a lot of your listeners, yourself, are familiar with vitamin B12. Now in a blood test, we can see, oh, okay, someone is low or they're medium or they're, yes, they're supplementing, it's elevated. Um, But a lot of times people may not necessarily check vitamin B12. Now in a functional genomics test through methylation, which is a process that requires B12 and other B vitamins to keep down inflammation, there's a specific gene that's looked at called FUT2. Now this gene codes for an enzyme that uh, binds to B12 when we're getting B12 through through our diet. And depending on someone's gene result for this FUT2 gene, we can know off the bat, oh, there's someone that has the less optimal or less efficient form of absorbing this dietary B12. So this individual is going to be more susceptible to B12 deficiency. And then if someone chooses to be more plant-based, be vegan, vegetarian as a lifestyle option, and they have the suboptimal FUT2, Uh, gene and suboptimal enzyme, therefore they're going to be at that higher risk of B12 deficiency. And we all know kind of um, the importance of B12 from an energy perspective, uh, from preventing anemia, et cetera, et cetera. So we really don't want to be deficient in in vitamin B12. In a similar way, vitamin D. Um, you know, if you do a blood test for vitamin D, it can show if you're low or high, but through functional genomic testing, we can see perhaps if you're at increased risk of vitamin D deficiency based on um, how well you activate vitamin D from sun exposure to your skin or how well uh, your transporter of vitamin D is uh, in terms of delivering that active vitamin D to the cell. So here are some, you know, comparables of of vitamins, right? Certain nutrients that we can look in a blood test versus functional genomics. Yeah, so blood test is more of like a snapshot of like what's happening. So for me, like you just pretty much nailed two of the things that sort of were eye openers for me because uh, I've been a vegetarian for I think 11 years now. And, you know, like always telling you to, you know, take B12 supplements. I think even like people who are not vegetarian, but don't eat good quality, I guess, meats, you know, will also need to supplement as well. There's a really interesting uh, documentary that came out not too long ago, Game Changers, and they sort of really break that down. A lot of controversy around it as well. But Mm -hmm. um, what I found interesting was, you know, the... um, that the FUT2 or FUT2, the one you just mentioned. Yeah, that FUT2G. Was that yeah. was something that, that I had an issue with. Um, and, you know, I need to take B9 to help support the methylation of B12. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, here I am, you know, saying, okay, like I'm supplementing B12, but it still might not have been enough because, you know, I'm vegetarian, plus I have this sort of um, DNA, um, the way my DNA is, doesn't support it fully. Yeah. And the same thing I found with vitamin D, like I love going out in the sun, I love being out there. And also, you know, um, that was another one that I sort of had to sort of uh, supplement as well, just to make mm-hmm. sure that I had enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things I had in my notes from our call was that um, a B12 deficiency may lead to anxiety. Um, so, you know, that's like an eye opener because nowadays, you know, it's like everyone is saying like, I have anxiety, I have anxiety. And, you know, obviously there's a lot of stressors that sort of, um, that can add that are in your environment, Mm -hmm. but also, I guess, from a, um, I guess a vitamin and mineral perspective, if you're not helping yourself on the other side too, um, you know, you might be like compounding issues. So I guess my question is, um, are people like, I guess, is the stress adding to sort of the deficiency and like. Yeah, yeah. That, like how do these things sort of correlate with each other? Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, if someone has a suboptimal uh, gene for the coding of these enzymes, and that enzyme itself is not going to be great at absorb, let's say for B2, it's ab- absorbing, or vitamin D, which is, you know, transporting. But then we kind of have to think of um, if there's increased stress, there's more uh, demand on our body to you to to have the energy, let's say, right? But energy, we have to look at maybe the biochemical level. So oftentimes we hear about magnesium deficiency with higher stress, but B vitamins are also super important, um, you know, in terms of uh, when there's this higher stress level, B vitamins will also be utilized quite a bit. So if you're deficient and you're not necessarily supplementing, um, then you're going to really fall into that, that deficiency state. Um, something I think Giovanni, I mentioned to you, where from a clinical perspective, uh, my colleagues and I have seen, you know, many vegans, vegetarians over, you know, years. Not, it's not usually when they first start, but years of being ve- vegan or vegetarian and not necessarily supplementing with B12, they may have high levels of of anxiety as a result of of the deficiency. Now. Also, when it comes to B12, B9, B vitamins, there's a lot of available forms of these B vitamins out there at the health food store, online, however you purchase you know, these supplements. And based on the functional genomics, looking at the pathway of how B12 is u- utilized, how B9 is utilized, um, we're able to get an idea you know, for Giovanni versus for Winnie, what are the preferred forms of B12 uh, and B9 that's more suitable for for someone. Um, you know, some of your listeners may have taken like a B comp, like just kind of bought a B complex, heard it's good for energy, taking it, and then all of a sudden they feel more tired or more brain fog or any existing symptoms they have are aggravated. One of the things um, to, to consider is that if someone has suboptimal methylation and maybe taking the Um, not the preferred forms of these B vitamins for them or taking too much at one point, it could cause this, you know, type of overmethylation. And this is something that Dr. Mansour Mohammed once again brought our attention to. And then just through seeing more patients, uh, it's a pattern that that we see. So, you know, for your listeners, super important um, to to know maybe what the preferred form of these B vitamins are for, for them. So can you give me some examples of forms? Like I know like magnesium, there's magnesium oxide and magnesium thronate yeah. and magnesium. Like there's like five or six. There's can you so give me a little bit on the different forms of like, I yeah. guess all, every vitamin has a different sort of. Yeah. yeah. So the active 
uh, form of vitamin B12 is called methylcobalamin. Um, a lot of times kind of the, the thinking is that the more active a compound is, the, the better absorbed it is. So across the board, a lot more su supplement companies are using, you know, methylcobalamin. Um, the other forms of B12 are called adenosylcobalamin, hydroxycobalamin, cyanocobalamin. Um, so those are the other alternative forms usually. Um, and then for vitamin B9, folate, the active form is methylfolate. Um, and this is, once again, the same kind of thing with vitamin B12, the active form. It's more widely available. Um, but there are other forms of vitamin B9 called folinic acid, folic acid. Um, and depending on your DNA makeup may interact better with your system to mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absorb more optimally or utilize other things more optimally. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Um, okay. So one thing I hear a lot about is like inflammation. Um, oh, sorry. Before we go back, um, I just want to roll back one question. So do we know like why B12 deficiency makes you feel this anxiety? Is the system overworking? Is there any sort of insight or we still haven't figured that out yet? Why that may lead to anxiety or do you have any insights on what you yeah. think? Um, not at this point from my perspective, but um, when the body is de deficient, right? Um, it's going to have a a kind of signal to us to, to, to do something, right? And that's why when we feel sick or when there's a symptom, usually we should take some action. Um, but clinically, it's just a thing that we, we've seen very, very commonly. And a lot of times, if we are working with our vegan and vegetarian patients that have a high level of anxiety, the first thing we'd actually do would be doing B12 injections for a period of time to really help build build them up and then switch to an oral you know oral supplement. And you usually see like a really uh, yeah quick and immediate like difference in a lot of people that wow interesting yeah yeah, um, yeah I haven't taken a B twelve injection I don't not that I really have anxiety I feel like at night like my mind is overactive and I'm just trying to figure it out because my HRV values during the day are pretty good mm -hmm. and then when I go to sleep they drop which is the opposite of what they usually say usually they're lower during the day and higher at night so I'm just trying to crack that code that's why i'm doing all of these things here yeah um so, so i'm not sure what it is so a lot of, i have a lot of i guess ideas what it could be but you know there's no a lot of these things we're just learning about now like collectively so it's, it's exactly. quite interesting to me so inflammation i know everyone's talking about inflammation these days mm -hmm. um so what can dna testing tell us about levels of inflammation and how can it help um and what's your take on like inflammation how to manage it i know it's mm -hmm. a pretty broad question yeah. but um just yeah. curious. well in terms of inflammation uh like so I, there's two different types of inflammation there's the acute inflammation and then there's chronic inflammation so acute inflammation in a way is um valuable uh because uh, it signals to our body our immune system to come heal repair the tissue mm -hmm. um, Whereas when this acute inflammation is not addressed completely by the immune system, it takes a chronic nature, right? And this is where, this is what we don't want because it will start uh, creating more damage to the cells, the tissues. Uh, when it comes to looking at uh, functional genomics, one area that's related to chronic inflammation is methylation. So if someone has suboptimal 
uh, methylation, yes, you can do things to help support it from a supplement, lifestyle, dietary, et cetera, perspective. Um, but it's good to know what your underlying, you know, methylation is, because if you know, oh, it's not, um, it's not great, then you maybe want to take a more proactive stance in uh, reducing things that can, you know, cause inflammation. Um, as well, um, I, I've worked with quite a few athletes too, in terms of understanding their methylation, because yes, exercise is a good thing. It creates uh, a level of stress on the body and inflammation. And if someone is suboptimal methylation and constantly, you know, pushing their body in terms of training and not allowing that recovery time, they're going to be more prone to injuries. Um, so I think that balance of understanding your body's ability to, to handle, you know, inflammation and its chronic nature um, is something, you know, very, very valuable. Now, inflammation is this very broad thing, right? Yes. Um, now, some people experience inflammation in their joints, in their muscles, but another area is uh, neuroinflammation. Have you heard of this term before, no. Giovanni? No. Okay, so neuroinflammation means that the nervous system and the brain is, you know, can be inflamed, right? And there's a number of different things that can potentially, you know, do that. And as a response, it could affect our mood, like it could lead to depression, anxiety, uh, brain fog, it are all aspects of neuroinflammation. So for each individual, depending on where their susceptibility is, is it more in the muscle, in the joints, or where, where in their, their body, or is it more geared towards brain, uh, brain health and you know, um, cognitive function? Now, when it comes to functional genomics, methylation is one part of it in terms of looking at inflammation, but the other piece um, we like to tie together is the body's ability to detoxify, right? Because we are exposed to a number of different toxicants uh, in, in our environment or even internally produced by our, the microbes in, in our body uh, that can lead to inflammation. So if we're not detoxifying well, and we have poor methylation, then there's a lot more work that we need to do. Whereas if we have, you know, good detox, suboptimal methylation, they want to support the methylation and vice versa, then we want to support detoxification. Um, and then in terms of how would we address kind of inflammation is definitely working at those areas. And if there's any type of acute or chronic inflammation, there are a number of different, um, you know, nutraceuticals, herbs, vitamins that can help with inflammation as well. So, okay. So there's a two pronged approach, which would be, um, methylation and detoxification, depending on what shows up in your DNA. Mm -hmm. Okay. That makes and sense. actually, and actually I didn't mention this, um, and you kind of spoke about this regarding your results in terms of cardiovascular health, right? Um, when our blood vessels are more susceptible to inflammation, and there's specifically a gene that's looked at in terms of, is someone's blood vessel more susceptible to inflammation? If it is, um, then we may want to screen for um, you know, family history of heart disease, personal history of heart disease, and then ask, is that one system that we need to uh, support this individual on because of, you know, these susceptibilities. So it's kind of like doing the genetic testing to look at blind spots, right? Mm -hmm. Or uh, reveal 
kind of weak foundational areas in our body and then taking that proactive approach. Um, that be, that's kind of your approach. Uh, whereas some patients that I see, they do this genetic testing because they've gone to so many doctors. Can't um, figure it out. Can't figure it out. So going to the gene level and looking at the function of genomics can give some insights to say, oh, connecting this and this and this, that's you know, most likely what's happening. Um, what can we do about it now? Interesting. Um, so just going back a bit to, to one question about neuroinflammation, are there specific symptoms that someone could tell if they have uh, inflamed nervous system? Like, is there anything that would really stand out that would be a marker like, hey, neuroinflammation? Just curious personally. Yeah. So a lot of times, um, like brain fog. Um, I know it's kind of subjective, but if there's some level of brain fog, there's probably some level of neuroinflammation. I went to a conference in Arizona, you know, a few years ago um, on environmental medicine because I've received additional training in this in this area. And the conference topic for the whole weekend was on neuroinflammation. So you have researchers, uh, clinicians, medical doc, functional medical doctors, naturopaths talking about this specific topic and then how it shows up, right? So how it shows up potentially can be mood-related, anxiety-related. There's so many aspects to neuro. Like if you even do a Google search of neuroinflammation, you would see potentially um, the different ways that that it shows that it shows up symptomatic-wise. Interesting. Cool. Um, another question I had is when people start um, looking at both, you know, methylation and detoxification, have you seen like anything like food sensitivities or allergies change in people? Uh, Cause sometimes that's what causes people say cause inflammation. Is there any correlation to what you do and how people respond to eating different foods and, and how inflammation sort of shows up? Mm -hmm. So the functional genomic test uh, through the DNA company doesn't Tests for food sensitivities because that's a, a blood test and in that mm -hmm. blood test it's looking at the immune system's response to some of these these foods and it's particular you know the, let's say the proteins so let's say wheat and dairy the proteins um, gliadin and casein is that causing an inflammatory response in the body so that'd be more um, like food sensitivity based testing whereas through the DNA company we can see, okay, um, let's say if someone's intestinal lining is more susceptible to inflammation, right, as well, they have suboptimal methylation, then those are definitely signs to say, hey, for me to ask, hey, do you have any food sensitivities? If you do, I, Okay, I guess my question was a little bit in reverse then. So okay. have you, is it possible that because someone may have poor detoxification and poor methylation, if they improve those would their food sensitivities change because now they're able to sort of process maybe some of these things that they're they just weren't processing properly mm -hmm. before and yeah. i don't know if that's a common question that's a good that yeah, makes that's, sense. yeah no, no no for sure and um you know when it comes let's say when let me backtrack for one sec when it comes to food sensitivities um i've had patients that have done these tests and let's say that 200 food sensitivity tests, right? 200 mm -hmm. foods that they're testing. And then the results come back and they're like, oh my gosh, you know, a hundred of these I'm, I'm being reactive to. Now I can't eat anything. And then it becomes more stressful, right? Um, but through my years of, of practice and just seeing patterns, there are certain uh, foods that can heighten the body's uh, immune system uh, reactivity. Uh, 
And if by even reducing those, then the reactivity of those other foods come down. So in a similar way, you know, if you're um, avoiding foods that are triggering this inflammatory response, and then you support your suboptimal methylation or suboptimal detox, you're bringing down things that can, you know, heighten that uh, inf inflammatory response in the body. So yes, um, that, that would actually be a really great idea if someone knew that they had food sensitivities to uh, avoid um, because of the immune systems, um, you know, being hyperactive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Um, so another question I have is like, can DNA change over time? Like, can your, your results, if I took a test now and I did a bunch of changes in my life, would I see something different in the future? Mm -hmm. Is that, is that, how yeah. does that? Good, good question. Um, so with the, the DNA testing, um, because they're genes that are inherited from your parents, it doesn't matter, Giovanni, if you tested um, those genes now, if you tested them 20 years in the future or 10 years, you know, historically, those genes won't change in terms of your, your genotype for that gene. However, um, when we talk about, well, what can be done, right? From a preventative standpoint, there's the term epigenetics, right? Where this is important because you can uh, have that influence in that positive direction because once again, um, functional genomics is more of helping one understand their body better. It's not a, oh, you have this gene mutation, therefore you're going to have this disease. Mm -hmm. Whereas if someone did that type of testing through conventional medicine, uh, let's say they're testing for cystic fibrosis, right? If they have that gene mutation, then they have that disease. Whereas with functional genomics, it's not a predestined thing. It's just saying, hey, he here are your weak spots. Here are the areas that you want to work on. Um, so epigenetics, you know, uh, through lifestyle, through diet, um, through like through supplements, through you know, food as medicine are all factors that can help uh, support the weaker foundational areas. So the actual DNA doesn't change, but um, can perform differently based on the environment. Is that the way yeah. to it? Yeah, so the DNA codes, so the um, genotype or, you know, the coding of the DNA is, is co giving instructions, right? Okay. It's like a manual. Okay. To, um, produce the byproduct, which is a, a protein. It can be an enzyme protein or receptor protein. So that version of that enzyme receptor will always be as such, but you could support that, that enzyme. So a really cool thing, um, for example, and this is kind of new, new information, um, there's a detox enzyme called glutathione S transferase. It's part of phase two detoxification. And uh, through sephoraphane, so sephoraphane is a compound that's found in uh, cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, broccoli sprouts, uh, cabbage, so sephoraphane can help increase the efficiency of this enzyme. So if you had the less efficient form of this enzyme, okay, through your diet, by eating uh, certain foods or supplementing through sephoraphane um, would help out that, that enzyme, right? Um, so that's kind of the gene coding itself won't, won't change though. 
Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Thank or else you. you're going to be a, a mutant, right? If someone you know, gives you <laughs> something to change your your actual DNA in that way. Um, I'm going for Wolverine if I have okay. to mutate. Okay. <laughs> um, okay. So just going, uh, getting more clarity on um, this DNA, sort of uh, trying to explain it in more layman's terms. You know, I hear the term junk DNA a lot. Um, I'm just curious what your perspective is. I don't think anything is junk. I think within the body, it probably has some role. Maybe we're not activating it. Maybe that's going to give us these mutant powers one day that once he's turned online. Do you have any perspective, like personal perspective on what junk, the role of junk, junk DNA is, all these things that we just don't know what it does? Yeah. So I actually asked that question to Dr. Mansour Mohammed. Like he's my mentor in this area of mm -hmm. functional genomics, right? Because um, he's going through, like I go through um, research related to implementation of clinical practice mm -hmm. of information, whereas Dr. Mansour is looking through genetics. Like he's a, he, he was a conventional genomicist and then started working on functional genomics as he saw that, you know, we could play a bigger, bigger role in helping people. Um, so he's my mentor. And so I asked him that same question, not that long ago, maybe like, you know, eight months ago before, before COVID. Um, and so he's like, yeah, well, with that term junk DNA, um, it's not actually junk DNA because more and more research is showing how the information in, in those areas of the DNA it communicates to other parts of, of our DNA. So it's a communication. And kind of back to your point, you know, it has a purpose. Maybe we haven't figured out that complete purpose of, of that DNA, but we can't disregard it because um, the same way as, you know, how we look at, at nature or, or science, it's like, oh, if we don't understand someone, we can't, something, we can't just say, okay, like that, that's not true. That doesn't work. It's like, okay, how, how can we understand it right yeah and so he's like it's pretty um incredible in terms of you know the junk dna and he said it's it, there's another term for it now but i can't recall what it is yeah i would um, i would think that you could call it maybe like mysterious dna or something that was like it sounds like a very egotistical scientist couldn't figure it out and said well this is all junk so we're, it, we, it doesn't do anything because this is all that matters it seems that's how i'm envisioning this yeah saying that so uh, exactly but yeah the the dna will come like from certain areas say there will communicate to help with you know making of you know the proteins or the enzymes from this section so there's like this interconnected communication between our, our dna that maybe we are not at that level of understanding why that is or why it's needed um interesting, hmm. interesting. so uh, i guess um uh, next question would be like, what do you think the future of, you know, DNA testing and, you know, um, using this as a tool to be healthier, to perform better? I know that this whole sort of um, category or space is, is evolving pretty quickly. You know, like what's, what do you think is on the horizon or what's already on the horizon and what do you think the potential of it, you know, five, 10, 20 years from now? Like, are we thinking like curing cancer, you know, all disease? Like, what's your perspective on near term and, and far term. Um. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what, what I see currently is that more individuals are looking for, you know, personalized medicine, right. And that, that makes just, that just makes sense. Mm -hmm. And so um, with the research uh, that's going on in terms of functional genes um, and Dr. Mansour is doing a lot of this, but understanding functional genes more and more and uh, adding more genes to, to be tested will give a better and better idea 
of you know some of these things that that we talked about and kind of the inter you know connections of of the body uh, in terms of you know uh, when someone has more information and understanding of, of themselves it allows them to be more proactive and preventative um, in terms of health health issues or, or concerns um, I think that when it comes to performance, right? The more information we have, the better performance we, we can, you know, be. One of the really important areas um, is understanding our, our minds, right? And by um, kind of seeing, oh, it's a, a, a physiological response or this is how my neurotransmitters are. It, it's not to say I'm kind of in this state solely, but it helps with understanding our, our mind to help improve, you know, performance. I think that's a really, really big piece. Um, there's so much stuff that's being done in the area of, of genomics when it comes to, um, you know, he healthcare. I think there's so much more that can be done, and I think it has to do with just more research and uh, potentially in the future creating more uh, studies where uh, individuals who go into the study have similar uh, genes or, mm -hmm. and then seeing what the clinical effect and outcome is. I think it will help really streamline uh, treatments a lot better instead of kind of, okay, we're looking for a hundred subjects for, let's say, uh, a study and everyone who, you know, not, without looking at genes, I think looking at genes can really help with uh, creating more um, clinical uh, treatments for, for people. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Um, I guess last question or coming to the end, I, I guess I've got a couple, a couple more questions actually. Um, what about like DNA damage? I've heard some of these things maybe from like EMF or Wi-Fi or, you know, um, you know, different, um, maybe like heavy metals. Is that something that is like, what, what does that mean exactly? Is that a true thing? Is it, is it, how would that affect someone? And mm -hmm. is there anything you can do about it? Yeah. So, um, I think one of the things we may have talked about in your um, genetic testing um, review, the genomic review, is something called oxidative stress and mitochondrial function. So when it comes to heavy metals or uh, toxicants, toxins, they, they affect you know, the, the mitochondria. Um, and then there's also more oxidative stress. And so the, the reality is that if we are able to minimize these things, and not for me to say, let's all live, live in a bubble, because that's not, that's not reality, but whatever we can do uh, to minimize these exposures, I think um, the better it is for, for our health, because some of these things we don't see an immediate um, symptom, right? It's not like, oh, we, 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 we have a flu, we have a fever, uh, we don't feel so great. Uh, some of these things takes years and years before we see some type of um, impact on, on our health. So anything that we can do to once again be proactive in minimizing EMF exposures, minimizing these you know, type, different types of toxins in our environment from our food, our water, our air, um, can I these think, things like like alter our genes in any way or damage them, or it's just going to impact their uh, functionality? And I don't know if I'm asking the question. Yeah, so I, the question makes yeah. sense. Yeah, so it's through. It's not necessarily well. It potentially could be immediate, right? And then years before someone manifests like a health 
issue from it, but then it's generational as well. So that's one thing that's been really interesting um, and more research needs to be done on it. But in terms of how um, DNA can be modified based on the, exter the, the environment, right? And then being passed down to you know, the next generations to come. So I think that's something we always have to keep in, in our mind. And um, there, there is research looking at these types of impacts from, from toxins. Awesome. Um, what's the difference between, is RNA and DNA related? Yeah, so um, they're, they're, par they're both part of you know, genetics, but DNA um, is what, we, uh, what we're looking at in terms of looking at these, uh, these genotypes um, and the testing through you know, the DNA company. And then RNA, what would that be? In, in, mm -hmm. Is that something totally different? Yeah, so our RNA is ribonucleic acid. Um, so it's, it's part of the mechanisms of DNA, but a, a little bit different, yeah. Okay, so I'm gonna throw one more question out here. If you don't know the answer, or don't want to answer, that's okay. Uh, I just heard rumors of these new, some of these new COVID vaccines are gonna have something to do with like RNA and affecting DNA, um, like Moderna, like the, and their name is RNA. And there's been a lot of like, questions about that. Is there any sort of thing that you would think could be an issue with that? Or do you know, are you not uh, versed on that topic? And if you're not, that's okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm definitely not versed on, on that topic. But um, super important for people to, you know, look further into if there are, um, you know, components in vaccines that that have that because of course, that's a, you know, a, a signal to, you know, DNA changes, right? Um, we know that, you know, with certain vaccines in the past, there's been adjuvants to help stimulate the immune response to get a better, you know, antibody production, let's say. Um, so I'm not exactly sure with, you know, this specific vaccine, you know, if, if it's in there or what the, the purpose is, but mm -hmm. if you, if you or your community has heard of that, has heard of that, then it's definitely a really good idea to do some to do some further research in it. And I will definitely myself. Uh, okay, cool. Yeah, I'd love to hear I'm going to get back to you on that okay. one. <laughs> okay, thank you. Uh, okay, last question. Um, some people are, are a little bit hesitant um, about giving their DNA to a company. They're scared they're going to sell it. They might do stuff with it. Um, you know, especially with these ancestry, you know, are they creating, collecting a database to then do something with it or sell it to a company? Mm -hmm. um, I guess you might get this question time to time. What's your take on that? And also like the way your company, you know, keeps people's information safe yeah. um, from that perspective. Yeah. So um, in terms of when the, so when the sample is collected, um, the sample is collected in a, in a test tube, right? You recall that, that mm -hmm. test tube and that test tube has a barcode. So it's anonymous already. So no information about the individual's name is attached to, to that barcode at all. So the lab uh, does not know who this individual is, etc. Um, through the DNA company, there is a specific document if people would like, you know, in terms of the confidentiality, uh, the privacy, there's there's a, a document there just to list out because we definitely, the DNA company has had, um, you know, inquiries, inquiries, just kind of what you said. Lots of people are curious, how does the company keep the information safe? Um, you know, 
etc. So there's actually a, a, a document on on that for individuals, um, your listeners who are interested in maybe doing DNA testing through the DNA company. They can also ask for ask for that document. So is there is there anything that companies could do that would be that you wouldn't want them to do with your DNA? Like you know, like is there a justifiable fear in like someone having access to your DNA? Like what what would like I'm not sure. Like I see like from a confidential and private would probably prefer like none of my information any companies have but is there something to be like fearful of that they could do with it or in the is there anything that comes to mind or these are just things that we're making up in our mind trying to think like oh if they have my dna then you know they can make me sick or they can you know do something or create something specifically for me that you know i'm gonna get addicted to or i don't know hmm yeah not that i can think of at this yeah at this moment i think it's just more of you know confidential information remaining confidential right um i I think maybe perhaps sometimes if um you know it's more so related we have to kind of go back to how this maybe fear came, came about um when it comes to conventional genetic testing for certain health um conditions right if someone from an insurance standpoint right is um like the insurance company acquires this information and they've done a genetic test but from the conventional medicine standpoint oh they have this disease and now they'd have to disclose it Uh um so but functional genomics is not like that because it's not saying that oh you know uh winnie or so and so has this health condition so i think that's where the fear may have come from um, but of course, you know, I think going back to, you know, having some, inf- you know, a company having information about ourselves and that just remaining, you know, confidential. Mm, gotcha. Yeah. Awesome. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Okay. So um, I guess last question, um, you know, how can people get a hold of you? Do you have a website or a social media account or if someone wants to, you know, get a DNA test done, like what would you recommend and how can they sort of get connected? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So um, if they'd like to do you know, DNA testing through the DNA company, then um, they can be found at, at the DNA company uh, website, mydnacompany.com. Okay. Okay. Um, and through there, they can find an, an access um, DNA testing. And I do genomic consultations as well as, um, you know, creating treatment plans, custom treatment plans for, for patients through the DNA company. As well, I have my own private practice called EnviroMed Clinic. So that's uh, environmentclinic.com um, where I see patients as well. So those are two different ways of, of finding me. I'm not big on social media right now. I just, I have, you know, too much going on with, uh, with, with patients. So Which is good. I'm, I'm not, good I'm not, yeah, I'm not live on, on, on social media, but I, I just focus on, you know, clinic, uh, clinical, um, practice. Awesome. Awesome. And so the people that um, typically would find this useful, it can be someone who's looking to heal or someone who's looking to optimize performance, right? So it doesn't matter where you're at, you can really gain some insights and and changes in your overall health by doing it. Exactly. And I think it's just, you know, if someone wants to, um, and is curious about getting more information about um, their body and understanding their body. It's a great GPS or mapping of these different areas. So whether someone wants to optimize their health or whether they're, um, you know, just wanting those, those insights, I think, you know, a variety of people will, will kind of look at DNA testing. 
Yes, and I think like it really resonates with me because I think the functional medicine model is let's get to the root and let's fix things from the inside out rather than, you know, let's put a Band-Aid on things. And I just really hope, well, I think one way or another, people are going to move in that direction as they start losing faith in the, the old system, which has pros and cons. So what they do, there's some things they do really well and there's some things that I think are really outdated. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully one day we, we use the best of both sides so that we, you know, we're, we have the best system possible. So yeah. uh, I say thank you for all the work that you do and for sharing all the things that you've shared. I'm sure many people are going to find this very useful. Um, please guys check out um, Dr. Winnie's website, check out the DNA company. Um, and if you have any questions, shoot me, uh, connect with me and I can point you also in the right direction. Um, so just in closing, anything you want to sort of add there um, just to close off? Mm, no, like thanks so much Giovanni for, for inviting me to uh, this, this interview. I'm glad to have you know, shared this information. Um, if you have any other questions, feel free to reach out to me as well to clarify anything. Um, yeah, I, I had a really fun time. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much. Okay. Okay. All All right, right. guys. Thanks for watching. Uh, we'll see you soon and, uh, love you guys. Peace.